With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Log Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio. to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Voice of Olympus. Uh, This is Hercules Invictus, your host, and tonight is our Starfleet adventure, which we have monthly and which we'll soon be having twice monthly. And uh, my uh, guest is Bob Bossler, Admiral of the USS Challenger and an Admiral in Starfleet District uh, 7. Greetings and welcome, Bob. How are you? Hello, Hercules. I can't believe it's been a month since the last show. I know. It's like, yes, it does. It just seemed like time flashed flashed by, but but here we are. How have you been in the past month? Oh, it's been a busy month, um, and uh, I'm glad we have spring, you know, almost sprung. Um, And we've been uh, been keeping uh, active with uh, a lot of different activities. Uh, Sunday, we were at a uh, comic book show where we had our table and awesome. you know, was, uh, we, were, we were promoting uh, Fleet, meeting uh, independent artists and uh, writers uh, who had a table next to us and uh, and then basically buying collectibles <laughs> and having a <laughs> lot of fun. Any good collectibles? Yeah, well, uh, our, our 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 mutual friend Todd, my chief of ops, he he got a USS. Uh, let me uh, make sure I'm pronouncing this right. The USS Callister 
Emblem for five dollars. Now that's the if you're familiar with with the show Dark Mirror, they did an episode that was very very well done. Dark Mirror is a British version of the Twilight Zone, basically, uh, and uh, it, it, it had a takeoff very similar to Star Trek, but with a little bit of a a, a more uh, dark uh, theme to it, uh, and, and misusing uh, so you know social media and uh, and simulation, and uh, and and it it had its own ship, you know, as if if it was a uh, like a online video game. So hence oh, wow. the, the galaxy was the ship, and you know the the uh, designer of the game was uh, appeared in the game as its captain, and he would uh, capture uh, uh, people um, in a sense, uh, put them into the game, uh, into this virtual reality world that was patterned after you know a, a version of Star Trek. So uh, it was a very interesting episode. I don't want to do a spoiler on the whole episode, but, uh, you know, if you ever get a chance to see it, it, it was very interesting. So, uh, you know, when, when Todd spotted that, he, he, he scooped that up. Uh, I, of course, scooped up more comics and uh, uh-huh. some action figures and, and some things like that. And, uh you know, if one comic book show wasn't enough, uh, I was I, I ventured off to Middletown in Monmouth County on Saturday. I had never been to one of their shows before. It's held at their art center, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was a lot of fun. Also, I mean, the Challenger didn't have a table there, but um, but I went solo, and uh, I wasn't the only Starfleet member to go. Uh, two members of the Storm also went, and we just didn't realize that we were all going to you know, be there. So we actually missed each other, but, um, but we had a good time, you know, wow. uh, there as well. And some of the same vendors returned, which was fortunate for me because I had missed one of the rooms. Uh, and by the time I discovered that it wasn't a closet, like I first believed and found it to be a much larger room filled with vendors, I was pretty much out of cash. So, uh, ah. fortunately, I, I, I knew the vendor. I said, are you, you going to our friend Chad's show tomorrow? Uh, because you'll see me there and you'll see me in a Star Trek uniform. And he said, yeah, I'll be there. So I'll just put it aside for you. So, um, oh, that was good that you could do that. That is awesome. Yeah. It's always great to network with the vendors and, and, and talk to the, you know, some of the artists that are there and, uh, it, you know, it makes it more than just, you, you more than just going there for the purpose of, of buying stuff or, or trying to recruit people. You know, it just makes it much more of a social activity. Um, so, but uh, that was one of the things. Uh, and I, let's see, did I talk to you since uh, the last time we spoke? I think I might have mentioned that the members went to Farpoint. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I didn't get to go. But uh, other members of the Challenger did, and other members of the of the Seventh Fleet certainly did. Chapters all across Region Seven were there. Um, awesome. And uh, we're excited about going back to that same location for sure. Leave come July, because the actor who uh, is playing Captain Pike in Star Trek Discovery will be there. The actor who is playing uh, uh, Young Spock in Star Trek Discovery will also be there. And um, 
the uh, the woman, and I'm sorry, the the names aren't the the actors' names aren't popping out of my head. Uh, I'll probably think of them, you know, after our after the show tonight. But the uh, actress who played Lois Lane in Smallville, and she's currently playing Supergirl's mother in the in the Supergirl show, um, uh-huh. and she's doing other things. She will also be there. So Shoreleave has an incredible guest list um, this year. And uh, and I'm probably missing a guest there, but the, just off the top, you know, three those three guests are, are you know, are it's fantastic. And I've never I've never seen any of them at a convention. Um, you know, it's probably the first convention that uh, um, uh, that that the actor who plays Captain uh, Pike and I believe his name is Anson Mount Mount. I could be wrong. But, uh, you know, he was also the lead in Hell on Wheels, if you watched that. It was a Western. Uh, and he no, was just I, I incredible. never saw that. Uh, but uh, and, I, and, I've seen brief commercials with him uh, playing Pike, and I was very impressed uh, with uh, yeah. how they translated him into uh, Discovery. Well, I'll tell you, he was also the lead in uh, last year's uh, TV show miniseries called The, the Inhumans. And he plays yes, the character yes. of Bull. And uh, you know, you're you're a comic book fan. I, I don't know how much you know about the Inhumans, but Black Bolt is a character who can't speak. Or uh, uh, actually, if he does speak, well, you know, it creates all kind of you know chaos. So I, I will say that that actor could do more without speech than anybody I've ever seen. He was just phenomenal. Um, you know, the, the show didn't exactly get the best of ratings or, or critic review, but I, I personally enjoyed what they did, and, uh, and at least I felt the show was very well cast. Um, I, I enjoyed it as well. It was fun, and uh, uh, it was originally part of the MCU continuity, but then like a lot of the other TV shows, it was kind of uh, uninherited. <laughs> so uh, yeah. they're kind of like not part of the MCU anymore. Well, I, it originally it was supposed to be um, a, movie. A, a major motion picture. It was it was supposed to get a big budget, and then they reversed course and they made it a TV series. Um, and I and I think they obviously slashed the budget because although it had some special effects, it didn't have nearly what you would have expected on on the big screen. And um, the one disappointing thing, I thought they had an excellent actress playing Medusa. But mm-hmm. when um, Black Bolt's, you know, demented uh, and very evil brother, uh, you know, captured her and, and, and shaved off her hair, I mean, I, I, yeah, I was in tears, you know. Like, I mean, that's the <laughs> whole character. That's like Spider-Man without being able to swing, you know, sling webs yeah. and, and climb walls. Um, so uh, it was an interesting show. It really was. And um, but I'm glad he's now found his way to the Star Trek universe, and you know I uh, I haven't caught up on every single episode of Discovery yet. I know blasphemy, but um, I, know, I, I haven't. I, I, I my wife and I love to binge watch, and we you know we, we like to watch like two episodes at a time. We we've been mm-hmm. catching up with the Orville. We're actually we've we've caught up completely with the Orville now, and we probably would have this past weekend caught up with more of, of discovery, but um, I brought home the, the second season of Westworld 
and uh, oh, that was a library. great series. Yeah, um, this and and I've been enjoying that. It's a little bit all over the place in the second season, but you know, given that I have to return the discs, even though I work at the library, um, I, I kind of felt the obligation of I better see this first before I, you know, and there was only so many hours. Uh, to go around this weekend, it was a very busy weekend between my fun and my and my work, you know, my side work. So, so, but uh, so yeah, Westworld. Uh, I my son had been trying to get me to watch it for like a long time now, and it, it's like, all right, I'll eventually watch it. So uh, we finally watched it, and we couldn't stop watching it. So we we saw both seasons, and. Uh, um, I, I actually found a, a Blu-ray of the original movie, and uh, then there was Tomorrow World or Future World, and there was a, a TV series, uh, there was a sequel to the original Westworld movie. So yeah. I'm wondering how much of that they incorporated yeah. into this, so I'm, I'm looking for those now as well. Yeah, it was uh, uh, back in the, I think it was the late 70s or early 80s. There was a show called Beyond Westworld. Beyond Westworld, uh, yes. It, unfortunately, it didn't do too well. They even, I think it was on CBS, and um, they uh, filmed, I don't know how many episodes, but they only aired like three. Uh, and Connie Selica uh, from um, um, uh, Hotel, and uh, she, she was in the show. Uh, Selica was, uh, uh, I think a scientist or, or, you know, something like that in the show. Um, but it was, it was a very, uh, you know, it was a very interesting show and it, unfortunately it just didn't have the ratings. So we missed that. But, but this, this version of Westworld is just incredible what they've done yes. and they've kind of turned it on its ear because now, you know, the focus is more on the uh you know the android droids uh you know uh, sentence you know coming to uh you know their own independence and 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 discovering right. the world around them so it's it's really an interesting idea uh it, it took the whole concept you know and and turned it turned it totally around and and i and i don't think anybody expected it to be uh as as powerful as it is it's kind of like the heir to the re-envisioned Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. Yeah, there's a Delta lot of similarities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you and, and it also reminds me of Galactica's spin-off, you know, that they did on uh yeah, Africa. Africa where they where they showed the creation and and how that, you know, how it all came to be and, and how they turned uh, to, to, you know, to become hostile and, you know, and basically out of yes. preservation. And, uh, and in, in, for those, and I don't want to do a spoiler on this either, but for those who have watched recent episodes of the Orville and their robotic Android, I, I can't call him an Android because he still looks more like a, a robot. A he robot. doesn't really look yeah. But there was a, you know, it basically uh, took that theme as well of their being so afraid of humans, uh, you know, hitting the off switch that, um, you know, that they, that they, um, 
did some very unkind things to to humans. <laughs> Let's put it that way, um, <laughs> out of out of fear. So, um, which in a way yeah. works into our theme tonight right. because we're talking about creation and God. Yeah. And, you know. And uh, the Battlestar Galactica and also uh, Westworld uh, asks the question, uh, what is the responsibility of a creator toward uh, his or her creations? And what happens when the creations uh, surpass the capabilities of uh, uh, the creators? You know, what what, uh, uh, happens then? Um, And... uh, um, this is one of a series of episodes we've done, like we did where No Man Has Gone Before. We talked about the Q. Uh, we talked about the Squire of Gothos. And uh, uh, Star Trek seems to give divinities the, the hairy eyeball, you know, who mourns for uh, Adonais. Uh, the gods are not necessarily a good thing. And uh, in uh, Star yeah. Trek V, uh, where there's a god in the middle of the universe uh, who needs a starship, it's the same type of thing, you know, this uh, benevolent God that uh, um, Spock's uh, brother um, perceives is there and is in communion with turns out to be a monster. And uh, Kirk yeah. asks the question, why would God need a, a starship? And uh, yeah, a classic, a classic moment in that epi- in that movie where Kirk puts his finger up in the air and says, excuse me, excuse me, why does God need a starship, you know, right. he's all powerful, you know, it, it was, you know, it was like a, a great William Shatner Kirk line to use, and it was the most elementary question, and of course, McCoy responding, Jim, you don't ask the almighty questions like <laughs> that, you know, um, I mean, I know Star Trek V is very, I, I think at times very underrated, um, it, it really you know, it didn't match up to some of the others, but I and, and, and unfortunately there was a reason for that because it was kind of rushed, especially with yeah. the special effects. But uh, but it had its moments. It, it had some really good themes, um, and uh, you know, and I, I, and I thought it. Lawrence Wilkinson. I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it was ironic because that was the very first movie that 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 uh, that as a member and leader of the USS Challenger, that was our first movie that we did a, a movie promotion for um, because before that, you know, um, we were part of, of the USS Avenger and, and we had done, you know, up in the, the other end of the state um, in, in the North Brunswick area. But, and here we were, you know, and I remember Star Trek five came out in July <clears throat> and uh, you know, we, and, and it was hot, it was a hot July Um so we uh-huh. at the, there was a, a, a movie theater in the Ocean County Mall at that time, and they allowed us to to come in and, and promote. Uh, and and I remember we actually just wore our Star Trek, uh, um, I mean our our USS Challenger T-shirts. We were all in red shirts, um, you know, but we didn't get shot. Um, a dangerous but, thing, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, because that was a color. You know, our, our, our colors were always like red and black or red and black and gold. So, because we, you know, and not many of us even had monster maroons, you know, for that era of the, of the you know, the, this Star Trek V predates next gen. So, you know, that was what fans were, were wearing, you know. Uh, 
right. those that could afford, afford the monster maroons, and, and we would roast our, you know, our, our dilithium crystals off if, uh, <laughs> if we were wearing them, even though it was an air-conditioned theater. Um, so, uh, yeah, Star Trek V, though, does have a special place. You know, all the movies do. Um, you know, as we mentioned last time, this year marks uh, 40 years, the 40th anniversary of Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, wow. Come December, come December. I can, can you, can you believe that it's been 40 years? Wow. Um, and, uh, and even though the movie wasn't exactly what all fans wanted, it was the one that, that brought us all back. You know, it brought, brought you know, Star Trek back live uh, after the animated series. And, uh, you know, it, and it, it it set the scene for future films. So, uh, you know, we appreciate that one as well. I remember when I first read the uh, novelization for the first uh, movie, before I saw the movie, uh, I thought it was going to be rated R uh, because of the things in the, in the novel. Uh, so I was very disappointed when they cut most of that out of uh, um, the actual movie. Have you read the novelization? I, you know, I, I did at the time. It's been a long time since I've reread it uh, or, you know, dipped into the novel. I, I know I've got the novel upstairs. I, I seem to recall them describing some of the, you know, the, the, the shower scene with, of, of uh, Alea, um, you know, transforming and, you know, Kirk and them coming in and she wasn't wearing her, her white uh, bathroom. Right. You know, I, I know that, and, and they couldn't exactly throw that scene in in, in what was a PG. Uh, actually, Movie. I, 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 I don't, know, don't know if Star Trek motion picture was PG, or was it actually just G, or... I, I don't PG? remember, but I remember in the book, they, uh, uh, Kirk was talking about how a lot of people have speculated uh, that he and Spock were having a relationship. And uh, yeah, he says he wouldn't really have a problem with having a relationship with Spock, but Spock is only in heat once in seven years, which is uh, you know, way too infrequent uh, for him. Uh, and then they, uh, he wanted to seduce uh, the robot, Ilea, um, but then they mm. decided to let Decker do it. Um, and right. uh, they were monitoring the, how the s- sexual seduction was going uh, through the through the belt of the start uh, fleet uniform, and uh, McCoy mm-hmm. and the also were sitting there monitoring this uh, activity. And when Ilea, who was a Delton, had uh, the effect on the mortals and the the bridge crew, where they uh, started becoming tumescent, they really went into that in much greater detail than. Uh, uh, in the movie as well, and uh, there were a lot of things. Uh, yeah, her super powerful pheromones. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I remember? Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, so I, I read the book, and it's like, oh, my, yeah, they're going to make her an R-rated movie, and then I was very disappointed when they didn't. If you read the book, you got some subtle hints. You know, you knew what was going on in some yeah. scenes, but they didn't really go into it. But that's about it that happened. You're bringing back memories now because I know I, I, I read that uh, and read the novel, I think, after the movie. Because I, th- I don't think back then they, they put the movie the, – nowadays they put the novels out before the movies. But I think back then, I think I – or I just happened to pick it up afterwards uh, to fill in all the blanks. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I do remember a line in the novel where Kirk says something like, uh, I love that creature woman, you know, like basically <laughs> saying, uh, you know, Spock would, you know, if, if I went that way, um, you know, Spock would be fine, but I love this creature woman. Um, you know, so and as we saw Kirk, you know, certainly loves women. Yeah. Lots yes. of women. Green they, even wrote, <laughs> they even wrote a book to that effect, uh, Kirk's a Guide to uh, Women or something. Uh, I seem to remember yeah. that that came out at one point. And uh, I'm still looking forward to reading the autobiography of uh, Captain James T. Kirk. Uh, they came out w- with one for him and one for Picard, but I haven't had the opportunity to pick them up or read them yet. Well, um, there we, we did get some d- more... Rumors, I don't know if we, we talked about this um, last time around, but the uh, Star Trek uh, series that's going to f- focus on Picard seems to, uh, is, it seems to have him on a quest with some non-Starfleet uh, crew, uh, and it does involve the Romulans. So much mm-hmm. like the episode where we see Picard um, you know, impersonating or, or rather, you know, playing the role of a archaeologist named Galen, uh, which is kind mm-hmm. of an homage, uh, homage to Planet of the Apes and, and, and yes. Galen there. Um, I, we're, we're supposedly going to see Kirk uh, on a different ship, but, you know, most likely a non-fleet ship where he will be on some kind of mission or quest uh, that pertains to uh, the Romulans, who now no longer have a home world, right? Uh, you know, maybe a different end of their their empire. Um, you know, because I, I don't think the Romulans would just fade away just because their home world blew up. I mean, obviously that would disrupt a lot of things, but uh, you know, and maybe they have a civil war because we saw in, in Star Trek Nemesis the the the, the tenuous peace between the Rem, the Remans and the Romulans. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm excited about that. The more rumors I hear, because I think it's going to give us a glimpse of what what became of the rest of the crew as well, even if we don't see them. You right. Know, I'm, I'm sure you know it. Little tidbits will be thrown into the script, uh, and and it'll be cool to see where Picard is in his career and in his life. You know, if he's a uh, an ambassador, a diplomat, uh, you know, he's probably not still a captain, um, you know. So I think that will be very interesting. I think it'll be very uh, interesting, too. Um, oh, well, we're planning our first uh, um, science fiction uh, uh, Starfleet event at the uh, Cresco Public Library. Uh, awesome. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to combine uh, various things I'm doing at the library to attract a bigger uh, audience. And uh, um, th- this is going to um, f- focus on sci-fi and UFOs, the first one. And uh, we're mm-hmm. going to show a film, Plan 9 from Outer Space, <laughs> oh, uh, in the library. Okay. And uh, encourage people to dress up uh, and then we're going to have our Starfleet meeting. 
Oh, that's so cool. That's such a great way to kick off, uh, you know, because people love that movie as bad as it is. I mean, because it's bad, um, but it's, a, it, you know, in many ways, it's a, it's a classic, you know. So I, I think that's a really fun way to launch, you know, um, you know, your chapter, I, I think. I think yeah, well, I think I'm having a lot of uh, uh, fun with it. You gotta let and, us uh, know the date, and if if, if possible, I I would love to pop in and and you know join. Oh, that'd guys. be awesome. We can have a fleet meeting too. If any of the ships want to come, uh, what do you call? It? We can have like a fleet wide meeting or something. Uh, you know, we can uh, uh, make it into an event. Uh, uh, you and I yeah. can discuss that uh, off uh, line and uh, see what we could pull together. I think that would be incredibly awesome. And uh, we'll be, uh, you know, basically uh, our ship is going to be an Olympian vessel, and Mm -hmm. it's going to be able to travel through different uh, dimensions and times, although that's not something that will be generally known. And our ongoing Mm -hmm. mission is to discover what happened uh, to the Olympians in various uh, timelines and universes uh, and to Mm -hmm. reconnect Olympus. So, so that's like the, the mission. And of course, uh, some of the other um, uh, crew have other things in mind that they're going to be doing for tying their story. So we're going to be having like role play encounters. Uh, we're going to have one with the Odyssey, um, which is uh, settled uh, down south from here. Um, and uh, it'll be like a um, like a, a play by email type game, you know, to start connecting and uh, uh, adventuring. Uh, and then we'll have uh, a bunch of different options for people who want to uh, join us. And uh, two of our uh, crew, uh, they're on after you today. In fact, Nicholas Dyack and Michelle Brittany, they're scholars and they write uh, papers. So it'd be really interesting if we could generate some scholarly papers on Star Trek and science fiction uh, as a result of doing this. So that's going to be the topic of the, the following hour you know, how we can uh, you know, have fun playing Star Trek and interacting with people and produce scholarly papers about it at the same time. Oh, wow. That's very cool. So you're all welcome to play, of course, and I'll be, I'll be sharing with you everything we're doing and when we're doing it, and whoever would like to uh, participate, they're, again, they're more than welcome to. Um, and... Uh, um, what I'll be doing, too, is uh, I'm starting a second Starfleet show on, the, on our podcasts. I don't have the mm-hmm. exact uh, date and t- times yet, but I will uh, by the end of this month. So instead of uh, two Starfleet shows on one day, uh, we'll have four Starfleet shows over two or three days during the month. And uh, then we can start defining each of the hours. So you and I will always have our, our discussion, and you could invite whoever you'd like. Uh, and then we'll be having uh, different thematic uh, conversations. Like one will be on the fleet uh, and our vessel. Um, another one will be on, uh, um, you know, like discussions. Like uh, we, we can pick a different topic that has to do with the metaphysics of Star Trek or, or Star Trek and the mythic. And uh, talk about that, and then you know uh, we can have like a spotlight show. Uh, the spotlights uh, somebody different every month, uh, so this way we can learn uh, about all the different people who are part of the Star Trek phenomenon here in our area and beyond our area. Yeah, I think that's great because there's so many different stories behind, you know, 
how people became involved with our with our organization, the long history of some of the chapters, um, some of the chapters that are like yours, um, you know, relatively new, um, even some of the older chapters that now have newer leaders and and are you know you know from different angles and and some of the fictional uh, history behind uh, certain chapters, what what era they're they are you know, fictionally part of, uh, you know, like Challenger being uh, part of the next gen era, you know, right. around the time that the Picard series would be going on because we've always been concurrent with, with the prime universe timeline of, of you know, the ne- next gen. Yeah. But, but the Avenger um, on the other hand, they're, uh, they're about 79 years behind us. You know, and, and, and their last adventure, to, you know, they even wrote their finale um, during the, the big battle uh, from... Uh, the Dominion? Of the... Of the, of the no, uh, because uh, they're, they're, they're classic error. They're, they're, they're more like movie error. So they kind of figured that they're, they're, the battle at, with the Enterprise C around that time, they would be part of it, you know. Uh, and and they would lo- they would be among the the the, the lost, you know. That that's what would happen. They would they would uh, during that battle they would not have made it, you know. Um, so so uh, are they continuing? What uh, if if they wrote their finale? What happens after you've written your finale? Well, I think that that finale would still be, you know, they're they're a, they're the uh, older ship. We're 30 years old. They're they're approaching their 35th. Um, wow. So uh, um, they, um, I, I think that battle takes place would take place if you if you lined up the timeline to to normal time, it would still be like 20 years away or something like that. I. I'll have to ask Alex. I, I haven't I haven't thought about it lately, but, but he had mentioned it that that that's what they you know um, that that fictionally that's how they would wrap things up. But uh, um, Challenger has no plans to wrap things up, even fictionally. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. And I'm surprised Alex would wrap things up fictionally too. He's been a fixture on the scene for uh, decades, and. Uh, um, I, I remember interacting with him years ago, so I'm glad to hear he's still around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's uh, he's actually the EXO these days, and his wife Sarah is the uh, the captain of the Avenger. She's a relatively new captain uh, and, and still learning the ropes. But uh, you know, they're 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 as active as as possible, and um, you know, there's the Justice is your closest neighbor. Um, yes, I, and, and I connected with them when we were out in northwestern New Jersey a few times. I attended their uh, meetings, their link, uh, meetup meetings uh, at the restaurant mm-hmm. and got to meet them. With, and there's some pictures with us there uh, floating around. I've seen them. And uh, they're, they're going to be involved in, uh, in a convention. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Um, Bless you. They're, okay? they're, they're going to be involved. Yeah, I just had a little sneeze there. Um, probably the cat dander from our my big um, 
me, uh, my, my rag doll cats, you know, around here. <laughs> um, but there, there, there's a lot of things going on in April. Too many things, in fact. Um, there's this big convention, uh, an Ocean City convention on the first weekend of, of April. Uh, there's, um, which, which is going to have LeVar Burton. And okay. uh, so we're thinking of that. But, but we also have our own event uh, on that, that first weekend Sunday, because that's when our meeting is. And we're going to have our, inter, our annual Intergalactic Food Festival. Yes, um, I saw that on your site. Yes. So there, there's that. We always have lots of fun with that. That's always open to the public. And um, that weekend is also uh, some other convention that uh, Justice is doing with our, with their their northern neighbor, the USS Abraham Lincoln. Um, and and at the same time, there's the Collector Fest because I asked them, "Are you guys doing Collector Fest in the Meadowlands?" And they said, no, we didn't know about it. We're going to be at something else. So even though we do communicate a lot, you know, things things pop up. I didn't know about this Ocean City Convention until this past weekend at the Middletown and the, uh, you know, and, and the Manahawkin comic book show because flyers were, were appearing at both. And I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? And so it, it caught the, the USS Storm, who's based in, you know, Atlantic County, by surprise uh-huh. as well. They'd be they'd be the closest contact you know uh, person to head up that, but I, I don't know if, if they're they're able to do it. And then and then today I noticed, and, and this is more of an interest of mine, that Cherry Hill that same weekend is having uh, a, a, a collectible and action figure uh, convention at the at the Holiday Inn or the Crown Plaza. I forget which. I think it's the Holiday Inn in, in Cherry Hill. I'm, I'm on Route 70, you know. Um, wow. So, uh, you know, we just we just can't, you know, hit everything. You know, we, we almost need a time ship, uh, you know, to be able to, to – some weekends there's just way too many things that we'd love to go to, but we can only, only hit one at a time. Now, um, I – and going to be doing some things uh, like ecological related things. Um, Mm -hmm. And here we started with encouraging community gardens and uh, I'm writing some things for a borough newsletter. You know, they're green related. And uh, um, I've decided uh, to dedicate more of my time towards green initiatives, uh, primarily because scientists the world over are telling us that we have 12 years to change things uh, around. Uh, or it might mm-hmm. be too late to change things around. So uh, I was thinking about uh, Star Trek Four when the Enterprise went back to get the whales because the whales had become extinct and they needed to talk to the uh, uh, probe that had come to Earth uh, to do like a, a time travel thing like that so that if anybody in Starfleet wants to join us in these green initiatives, we could do it as like a pan-Star uh, Trek type yeah. of uh, Thing. So um, that was something else I wanted to share with you and, uh, um, you know, to get your advice on how I could spread that throughout the fleet uh, as we launch that in the very near future. Uh, I know on a, on a little less ambitious uh, effort, we Challenger was supposed to uh, do the, a beach sweep cleanup and a, and, and a dune grass planting. Oh, awesome. Last 
last Sunday, unfortunately, Mother Nature uh, didn't cooperate with us because it was no. pouring <laughs> raining. Not this past Sunday, you know, as in yesterday, but uh, but the the Sunday before. So they uh, had postponed it, and they're going to reschedule it. Um, but we haven't heard when they're rescheduling it. So since it was pouring raining out and they, they postponed it, uh, we had already planned on seeing Captain Marvel anyway after we had done, you know, our, our after the beach sweep in the afternoon, we were going to hit uh, Captain Marvel at a, at a local theater. Uh, so instead we had uh, more times to pick from to go see it. And, and that's what we did last Sunday as a group. We, uh, we went and saw Captain Marvel and, and we loved How it. How did you like it? Uh, my wife and I greatly enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And, 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 uh, you know, Emily, uh, joined us as well. And, and Emily's not a big superhero, you know, comic book person, but she, I, I I'm slowly getting her into that. Um, uh-huh. you know, I got her to go see Wonder Woman. She went and saw Justice League. Uh, she went and saw Avengers, um, uh, you know, the, the, the gauntlet, uh, you know, part one. Um, so, uh, you know, of course she was driving me crazy cause she kept on saying, when does Wonder Woman show up? Like, honey, no, this is, this is the Marvel universe. Wonder Woman's not going to show up in this, but, uh, she loved Captain Marvel. She, she thought it was, you know, and it, it, it you didn't have to have seen all the other Marvel movies to really appreciate the the this that story. Plus, there was a great sci-fi right. element. Um. So um, yeah, we we all enjoyed Captain Marvel, and we can't wait for uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, I'm more excited about that than I am the next installment of of, of Star Wars, uh, what I yes, think is too. also coming in May. So. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm greatly looking forward to Avengers uh, Endgame. My wife and I started watching all the movies from the beginning. So uh, we've seen Captain America, um, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 1 and 2, Thor. Uh, and tonight uh, or tomorrow, we're going to watch The Avengers, uh, the first one. So uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to watch TV shows. We're going to watch all the movies. Uh, um, hopefully, by the time Endgame comes, we will have seen them all. And... Uh, uh, you know, get more levels of the movie than we've gotten otherwise. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been it's it's amazing too that you know the Marvel universe as we know it um, started in as far as films really started in in you know ten years ago two thousand and I think it was two thousand and nine was when Iron Man came out. Yeah. Um, so it's amazing that, you know, from that, so many movies sprang from the success of, of Iron Man. And, um, you know, a lot of people didn't know, you know, if that was even going to be successful. Um, and, uh, and it certainly restored uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s career. Yes. Um, a lot of people weren't, weren't sure if they were going to, you know, bank on on him because he had a lot of you know he was overcoming a lot of addiction issues at that point uh but now we think who else but robert downey jr could possibly play tony stark you know like he's awesome in that role um, yeah he was born to play that role i, I can imagine nobody else playing that they they have cast 
for the most part, they have cast some really good people in the roles. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the actor who plays, uh, you know, Captain America, uh, even though he played the Human Torch in the uh, in the first, yes, in <laughs> Fantastic uh, Four, in the first two Fantastic Four movies, you know, and he was much younger. But I mean, he's he's great, uh, you know, Hawkeye and and uh, Scarlett uh, Johansson. I mean, is Black Widow? Um, you know, I I think they've done a, a great job with the films. They're a lot of fun. And and while there are you know some tweaking of of some backgrounds and stuff like that, I think for the most part they've they've really you know made it very entertaining. I think so too. Um, Is there a Marvel superhero fandom like uh, I, we know there's a Star Trek fandom, and we know that there are other fandoms like Star Wars and Serenity. Um, you know, uh, but is are there like is there still a Babylon Five fandom? Is there still a Battlestar Galactica fandom? Uh, is there a Marvel superhero? I know there's cosplayers, but is there an actual fandom? Well, um, I know that there is, uh, and I didn't know this until last last spring when I went uh, to uh, in my side job. I covered um, the. Garden State Comic Book Fest. I think that's the name of it. And it was held at Great Adventure in, in Jackson Township. And I went there and um, I saw a lot of people, you know, dressed in uh, in costumes. So my first thought was, oh, that's so cool. Great Adventure, you know, because they have superheroes anyway. They're, you know, right. Superman, Wonder Woman, you know. So I thought, oh, wow, they really went all out. They've got you know, not only do they have the, the core ones, but they've got the Atom, they've got, uh, you know, Catwoman, Black Canary, you know, all, all these uh, DC uh, characters. And I found out that they, they were um, a, a separate club, that there was a, a group called uh, New Jersey Superheroes, and, and then they were... New Jersey supervillains because they had the Riddler and the Pied Piper and you know, <laughs> the Flash, you know. So there, so there are organizations, and I know on the flip side for Marvel, there is an organization uh, called um, Avengers uh, who uh-huh. do their their play and they do things like go to hospitals and stuff like that, uh, dressed up. Uh, so there's a, a costume element to to both of that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I think that's pretty I cool, did, too. I tried to get the DC ones because I, I really never made contact with the Avenger ones, but um, I, I tried to get them to come to Fan Nation, but I guess they were too busy. I couldn't get them to, you know, they seemed interested, but um, but, they, but they didn't really commit to actually coming. <clears throat> I know I'm on a, a, a several Facebook pages um, on on different um, elements of comic books because I'm I'm a fan of both DC and Marvel, and uh, I'm on the uh, the Marvel uh, and I'm on Facebook now. Let me look up what it's actually called because I I post the Marvel comic fans 1961 to 86, which is a big time 
you know, maybe not 61. I think I started collecting comics in the early 70s um, and, you know, still collect comics. But, you know, the prime time of my collecting days was, you know, during the 70s into the 80s into the 90s. Um, so they, they chose that era and they, they post things like covers. And, and when I see the, the covers and artists, I'm like, I have this issue or I had this issue. Uh, and it uh-huh. brings back so many memories and they post questions, you know, they, they post things that get discussions going, uh, you know, not just your favorite character, but, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, memorabilia and posters and, and artwork and video games and, you know, that kind of stuff from around that time period, you know, when when a lot of new characters came out. Uh, right. Uh, you know, like Wolverine, you know, like when Wolverine was, was just introduced and uh, uh, stuff like that. Oh, they've got a, that's funny, they've got a, a, a video here that I didn't see, uh, even though it's uh, uh, on the Marvel Facebook, it has a Holiday Inn, circa 1970-something, and uh, wow. the, the, the sign says, Welcome Trekkers. So, uh, yeah. so um, yeah, I think there's a lot of people now that are, are, you know, been exposed to comics and through the movies, you know, like that's, the comics yes. uh, led to the films, but I think now the films are, are leading to people to, to learn more about the comics in the first place, you know, like finding out more about Ant-Man and the Wasp and, you know, like, you know, some, some of the more obscure characters that, that are now hitting the big time, you know, like Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, yes. You know, you know, which is, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, that it's amazing that the they Marvel Universe can't come together and put a, a, a really halfway decent Fantastic Four movie uh, out there when Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't have a tenth of the kind of um, background and lore that Fantastic Four has. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they've done a, a, a great job with it, making it funny and, you know, full of adventure and special effects. But, you know, the, the Fantastic Four has been around since, you know, 1961. And, uh, you know, like, they can't seem to come up with, you know, that the last Fantastic Four movie was just abominable. It was just terrible. Uh, it stripped yeah, it away any... Yeah, Fantastic Four? They should have made it into other heroes, like made it made up new heroes. Uh, it really, I don't feel it, uh, it captured the spirit of the uh, original team either. It, it removed all the fun element, the family element. Uh, it, mm-hmm. They tried to just make it a more sci-fi. They made everybody the same age. Uh, they kind of got rid of a lot of the continuity. Uh, you know, it, it made the first two movies a whole lot, you know, seem like, you know, much better. Even the Rogers Corman movie, which has never been released because it was incredibly right. cheesy. But even that, at least you could say, well, the, at the core, that was the, you know, at least it was the characters. You could recognize them as Reed Richards and Sue Storm and, 
Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm and Doctor Doom. Uh, but but what they had in I believe it was 2015 was you know she just the, every print should just be burned. That was just so terrible. Uh, I thought the first half of the movie, I, I, I was, you know, giving it the benefit of the doubt, because uh, uh, again, it was a different interpretation. But it was like, okay, but uh, toward the middle of the movie, it started to unravel for me. And uh, again, it's in my collection. Uh, I, I've watched it uh, since originally watching it a, a few times. Uh, it hasn't grown on me like some movies do. Some movies I don't initially like them, but later on, after a few viewings, it's like, all right, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I try but... never to prejudge a movie, and I always, usually, like, always have to go see it before I, I can make up my mind. But I'd heard a lot of bad buzz on it, and I was in the theater seeing another movie. And, uh, I, you know, I hadn't gotten around to seeing Fantastic Four, and I, was, I, I think unconsciously I was actually dreading it because of the trailer and everything that I saw. So I peeked in for like 10 or 15 minutes because it was either after the movie that I had gone to see or before, and I went in and I was like, oh, this is really bad. This is really, you know, this, this, this is... This makes the first two, you know, and I like the first two. I mean, I thought they could have been better, but I didn't think they were terrible. Uh, but this, yeah, this I, was I, just... I enjoyed the first uh, two. For what they were, they, they, they were, you know, and uh, they were a little goofy, but uh, I loved having the Silver Surfer. You know, that was... Uh, uh, yeah, I liked how they had the Silver Surfer. And, and, and you know, the only one that, the only thing there, I, I would have preferred they actually show Galactus. Uh, rather than make him one big gas cloud. Uh, but remember, this was a time before, I mean, we had CGI, you know, but we didn't have anything to the extent that we have now in, in a lot of the Marvel right. movies. So I think, you know, had that movie been made now, we would we would have seen Galactus. We would have, you know, maybe they would have stuck a little closer to the original storyline. I never understood why why every version except for the Roger C. Corman version always seemed to want to link Dr. Doom with this, with the same origin as the fantastic four. When right, Dr. Right. Doom has a really cool origin all of his own. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that was the only thing about the first two movies, you know, the origin having them in this space station and the cosmic rays come like, you know, the the whole point was that they were developing their own special, you know, suborbital craft, you know, like there was enough there uh, to, you know, have them steal their, their, their special plane or ship and, and have it exposed to the cosmic rays, which could have been revealed as, as, you know, exhaust from Galactus's approaching vessel, you know, and uh, Right. Tie that in as well, you know, or or the scrolls, or you know. Um, but then you, then again, Marvel had a, a lot of problems with the fact that they sold their rights off. Uh, yes. That's why I was so happy to see that because um, the Fantastic Four, you know, I don't know who owned the scroll copyright, but you know, Avengers wanted to use in the in the first Avengers, they wanted to use the scrolls and they couldn't. And yet right. they're able to use them now for Captain Marvel. Um, yes. 
because Fox owned the right to the scrolls, I believe. The scrolls had come from uh, Fantastic Four. Actually, I was and amazed that that Black Panther. Yeah, and and actually, I, I'm amazed that Black Panther ended up in the Marvel, you know, the rights by Marvel because. Uh, if Fox owned Fantastic Four, Black Panther first appeared in Fantastic Four, but I don't know how that all works. Neither you know? do I. Um, now we're we're approaching the end of our hour for uh, today, and I wanted to bounce something off of you. Um, uh, what I'm going, what I'm doing actually is I'm putting together like a, a twelve. Uh, Things you know, books and uh, uh, videos and articles. Uh, I want people to read as like a recommended reading list for what I'm trying to create. So my first mm-hmm. two, my first two, I'm going to do two a month till you know, till we get them all there, and then it'll be continuously updated and tweaked. But uh, I was thinking of the movie Trekkies, a hilarious look at the universe's most fervent fans. And the mm-hmm. book, all I really need to know, I learned from watching uh, Star Trek from by Dave Marinacchio. So, what do yeah. you think of those choices uh, for the first uh, two things to recommend to newbies uh, or people who liked Star Trek but didn't don't know anything about Star Trek fandom, just to start orienting them to to the whole uh, thing? I think that would be great. I think that would that would definitely work. Um, and you know, Emily and I appear at the very end of Trekkies 2. Uh, really? Which is very... so I... Trekkies yeah, 2. I, I... Next month I'll recommend Trekkies 2. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> which is very funny because it was uh, taped at, uh, at Shoreleave, uh, the convention in Maryland in the summer. And when they did the interview, uh, as, as you would not be surprised, I did most of the talking. And yet, when you see the outtake or the or the the clip that they they used, um, I'm sitting there, and Emily they they used all of Emily's um, dialogue because they were at that one they were focusing more on um, or that segment they were focusing on fans who met through uh, you know met through fandom and and you know got married or or became rom- romantically involved. So uh, I think they they liked Emily's. Uh, uh, description of it more than me. Maybe I just babbled on too much, and they were like, yeah, yeah, "Let's use the footage of his wife." You know. <laughs> so, well, I thought that was funny. You're you're free to you're free to talk as much as you like <laughs> within the time we have on this show. Um, I uh, put links to your Facebook page, uh, the USS Challenger Facebook page, uh, the Starfleet International page, and the USS Challenger. Uh, website. So uh, people have those ways to find out more about uh, uh, Region 7 and the USS Challenger and you. Is there anything else you'd like me to share in terms of contact information? Uh, They could reach out to me at uh, beamaboard at AOL.com or um, USSChallengerCO at gmail.com um, and I've been paying more attention to that account. So uh, either way, uh, I'll, I'll get the message. And uh, we appreciate your, your listing our links, you know. And USS our, Challenger. Mm-hmm. Challenge, wait, uh, I typed with one finger. So uh, this is 
CEO at, let me just repeat this before I press uh, the uh, uh, post the button. Um, beam aboard, one word, at AOL.com and USSChallengerCO at gmail.com. That's correct. Okay, I will share that. Thank you again, Bob. I'm looking forward to our conversation continuing next month. It'll come before we know it. And uh, um, have fun doing all the awesome things that you're doing. And give my regards to all my brethren and sister in in, uh, Starfleet International. Thank you, as always. I appreciate your having me on the show. And uh, it's always a great time. It always goes too fast. Same here. Uh, I'm going to play a very quick song uh, from uh, Dave the Bard called Cauldron Born, and then we'll be back with our scholars from the edge of time. Thanks again, Bob. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
searching for patterns and looking for signs Your life of construction one day you will see Through the illusion and into the dream the cauldron's brewing magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Kerridwen's children, the cauldron born. So we stand on this hill, our shadows are coming. The powers of earth, sea and sky Of dragon and fairy and shades of the night We call to our ancestors of blood and bone Of womb and tomb and standing stone Lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words and sing your spell Deep within The cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Kerridwen's children, the cauldron born. Oh, lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within this darkened hall, hear the goddess Kerridwen call. Come and taste. Of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Kerridwen's children, the cauldron born. You're the cauldron adventure continues. In this segment, we meet with our scholars from the edge of time, Nicholas Dyack and Michelle Brittany. Greetings and welcome, Nicholas and Michelle. Good evening, Hercules. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. 
Um, I'm very excited uh, to be having this conversation with you. I saw the material that you guys sent me, uh, and we're in for an exciting uh, ride. Uh, Before we start, uh, I started compiling a list of uh, books and movies that we'll be using in our adventure. So uh, what I'll be doing, because uh, I know everyone has very little time, is I'm just going to talk about one general book and one general movie, and then one uh, book and movie specific to our particular quest. And this way, uh, um, you know, whatever you can get to. The list is going to be very small. I'm thinking of only 12 books altogether, uh, or (laughs) including movies. Uh, the first is a uh, DVD called Trekkies, a hilarious look at the universe's most fervent fans. Uh, and that gives you like an overview of what Star Trek fandom is all about. And then there's a thin book called All I Really Need to Know I Learned from Watching Star Trek from Dave Marina- Marinaccio. And uh, I will post uh, links to this. Um, on the timeline and uh, um, I will also send an email and then in terms of this particular Olympian adventure the episode is called Who Mourns for Adonais uh, spelled A-D-O-N-A-I-S and that's uh, episode 33 and it was originally collected in the DVD called Volume 17 Star Trek the Original Series and then the novelization was by James Blish, and it was originally in Star Trek number seven. Now, I have a spare copy of Star Trek number seven, so I will mail that to you. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank uh-huh. you. Um, so every month I'll be adding to this until there's like 12 things, and that'll keep us going for a while. And then we'll just keep updating it every now and so often if a better book pops up or a better uh, uh, you know, DVD. And we'll have like a, for people getting involved, something they could see to more easily get into the background. And then, of course, these shows, too, which uh, we're kind of developing things as we're moving along. Now, I have not seen Trekkies. I know of it, but I've okay. seen a similar film called uh, Star Wait. It's a documentary about Star Wars fans who waited in line to see episode yes, two at uh, the Chinese theater. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, you know, exposure of a, you know, fandom of, you know, waiting in line and <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, this is slightly uh, different. Uh, This uh, uh, movie, uh, uh, it's been a while since I saw it. I'm going to watch it again. But it kind of takes you all over the globe and shows you, like, global Star Trek fans and uh, what different forms the fandom takes, what commonalities uh, the fans uh, share. But it gives you a really good picture of uh, um, the whole uh, Star Trek fan phenomenon. But I have that movie, too, with uh, the fans waiting in line. That's a really good movie. It, it legitimately is. And, and one of the commentary tracks is people from Mystery Science Theater 3000 riffing the movie. Is it? I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it's one of the commentary tracks. It's got, like, uh, Joe Hodgson and, like, two others. Like, they riff, like, one of the, the sections of the film. It's kind of fun. Okay, when I rewatch it, uh, I will look for that and uh, add another level to my uh, enjoyment. So which of you would like to go first? Uh, 
uh, I really want to hear about uh, Volafar Getarp and all the Egyptian uh, uh, material that Michelle has gathered together. So I'm really excited. Uh, do you have a preference or? Ladies first, absolutely. <laughs> there we go. In, <laughs> o- in other words, he really wants me to go first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, in kind of preparing for my character, um, I don't remember what all I talked about last time, and I apologize because it's it's been a month. That's okay. Um, yes. But my my character's name is going to be Merit Patah, and okay. um, the the name I came up with is actually from uh, one of the ancient Egypt uh, archaeology books or magazines that I was reading. Uh, probably around that time. And the name is for a person who, for the longest time, they thought was a real person from ancient Egypt that had been the first uh, female doctor. Uh-huh. Um, but, since, but since then, um, probably like within the last 10 or 15 years, they've actually determined that it's based on translation and that really isn't true. Um, that the person, uh, Merit Patel, was probably like an overseer but wasn't actually a practitioner. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a, oh, darn. But um, I thought it was a neat name, and I kind of liked the the controversy around her as an individual. So um, I okay. thought that would be a, gr- a great name. Um, and then uh, kind of. What I really liked uh, that we talked about last time was the fact that um, you were also using um, riffs, I think, or, yeah, yes. I think that's it, riffs. Yeah. Yes. So when you brought, yeah, when you brought in the aspect of time travel, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is great because now my character can come from ancient Egypt, and it's kind of a, a natural, instead of, like, trying to figure out, well, how do I have this ancient Egyptian as part of, you know, a sci-fi, so uh, and part of Starfleet. So that was really helpful for me uh, to kind of look at. Well, this person could be from ancient Egypt, and so now I can, you know, continue to kind of research my interests um, and develop a backstory for this per- for this person um, and give some context to how she might. Uh, you know, react to things uh, since we'll be doing episodes and there'll be, you know, scenarios to respond to. I want to be able to have some background. And uh, with that in mind, I was looking in my library and trying to figure out, okay, what would be very good books? Um, But also with the thought that for your listeners that perhaps uh, if they're kind of wanting to play along at home and they're also looking to figure out, well, how would I, you know, develop a character? Because I'm kind of, this is all kind of new to me, too. So okay. um, I'm, I'm kind of a newbie, too. So I figured I'd share my newbiness with everyone else. <laughs> Very generous <laughs> but, of you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So I thought, well, first of all, um, you know, always a, a good introductory book is an encyclopedia. And so I have the Encyclopedia of Ancient Egypt, of Ancient Egypt uh, that's edited by Helen uh, Strunt, Struntwick. And the reason why I picked this is um, because it has 
a good section, uh, write-ups about religion, art, everyday life, science and technology, and, you know, writings at that time. You know, whether it's the Book of the Dead or it's uh, hymns or poetry, stuff of that time, that would give a flavor to how Merit Patah would, would speak. Um, okay. Not, you know, she's going to be somewhat modern, but she's still going to make references, you know, to her own life. That's kind of my, my thought process. So kind of piggybacking on that, um, I kind of feel like she will know, obviously, about the gods and goddesses. So um, there's a very good book, and it's one that I've actually referenced in other podcasts that we've done together for Voice of Olympus and then also for Pride of Olympus. And that is uh-huh. the complete the, – so that book is The Complete Gods and Goddesses of Ancient Egypt by Richard Wilkinson. The reason why I really like this is that, yeah, I mean, you could go to Wikipedia, um, but I like how concise this book is. It's a little bit older, um, but it, yeah, it could send you down a rabbit hole, and I'm okay with that. Um, but I do like that it, 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 it has really insightful summaries um, that are fairly concise, and um, if you are looking to just spend like 10 minutes looking up a god, you could go in and look at, you know, look one up and you could spend a couple of minutes. Um, or you could end up kind of really referencing through looking at one God and, and actually picking up different threads uh, to get a better understanding and how the different gods in, interconnect, which I think is something that kind of gets lost with, with Wikipedia. So, yes. Um, that's a book that I, that I, that I reference quite often. Um, one of the other books that I, that I really like, and I only recently picked it up, um, but I think it's a beautiful book. Um, it's ancient Egyptian book of the dead. It's the translation by, uh, Raymond O. Faulkner with an introduction by James Allen. And the reason why I like this book is one, it's a little bit smaller size, so I could carry it around if I want to, um, but it really pulls out like what the different spells are and different texts from the Book of the Dead are. Um, mm-hmm. I also have a um, Book of the Dead. It's the uh, it's the scroll of Ani A N I, and it's a beautiful piece and it's been translated by um, by Budge, but um, it's so huge and it's one that's a, kind of nice and so I don't really want to mess it up too much. <laughs> so I find that this little book kind of like makes the spells concise and it's just kind of fascinating. It has a really great uh, uh, table of contents for the spells. Um, and then of course um, it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have an index, um, but it's very generous with pictures and things like that. So I find that book, really kind of a charming book. Um, so I know that I'll be referencing that quite often to get some flavors with regards to um, the character. Um, wow. That, that's, very, that, that's, that's phenomenally detailed so far. That is awesome. <laughs> so uh, thank you. Um, I have, 
two books that I'm that I'm looking at as far as again kind of giving some context, you know, looking at what's been re- written fictionally. And since you and I had been kind of passing back and forth about books and movies and you know comics and things like that, um, two books that I that I think are really quite quite uh, helpful. Um, and we've actually talked about one of them, and that was Christian Jacques, uh, his Ramses uh, series. Um, I read the first volume, um, and um, there's a character in there. She's actually a real person as well, but Nefertari and her origin story. She uh, was played an instrument, um, and then she went to a school uh, to learn about, um, you know, literature and things like that and that's kind of a bit of the backstory that I have for Merit Patah. Um, she's kind of my direct inspiration for my character. Um, so that's that's a book that I, I'm referencing. And the other one is uh, Igor uh, Barenko. It's called The Egyptian Princesses. This is really, uh, this is a book that's actually been translated from, I think French, um, and it's. it's uh, I'm actually glad that they've translated it over to English. It's a beautiful book. It's about two princesses that um, are um, being raised together, and then um, kind of a, a nasty event happens, and they end up split apart. Um, and each of their lives really go in, in very different directions. It's very philosophical, and um, there's quite a bit of religion to it. Um, and I've read, I've read through it about a year ago, um, and I found it just probably, you know, uh, very much trying to be with true to ancient Egyptian uh, characters and kind of the political maneuverings that, were go- that would have been going on at the time. So um, I think that that will be an interesting resource to include. Um, I'm actually going to go back and reread it um, because the philosophical, when I read it the first time, I felt like, wow, I know I'm going to have to read this at least a couple more times. So <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really uh, think those are good. And then um, the other book that I was um, that I thought will be a great reference particularly since this is going to be uh, Starfleet, it's science fiction, there's fantasy. Um, I'm referencing a very nice art book uh, called The Art of Magic, The Gathering, and it's the Amenkite. Yeah, it's the Amenkite version. So there's a lot of different uh, art books out there for Magic, The Gathering, and this one is for the cards that are all related to ancient Egyptian uh, storyline. And uh, so this one, um, it has gorgeous artwork, and I think it'll be very inspiring for me. I'm a very visual person. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this will be a, a, a good book for me to uh, look at and get kind of some ideas. And I thought it might actually help with uh, story writing, um, and just trying to help build out and give a more fleshed out uh, experience with the adventures. Uh-huh. That is an excellent idea. I know there was one yeah. with ancient Greek, too. There was a, a series uh, 
Um, I missed them when they came out, but uh, I was thinking of uh, tracking them down as well. And those were well done. Is is it for uh, Magic the Gathering? Yes. Oh, okay. Because I I did see some other Magic the Gathering books, and I was like, oh, hey, that's really interesting. But I I didn't have a lot of time to to go down that rabbit hole (laughs) at the time. (laughs) But that I is awesome. Be, well, thank you. I would love to hear if you have some other suggestions. Um, do you have a particular, like, riff book uh, that's uh, a good reference? or? Um, I haven't come across a, a riff book. Uh, there's one book on uh, gods in the universe. Let me dig it out here. Uh, it's right near my computer. So uh, let me uh, look. They had, it's called a Pantheons of the Megaverse. And uh, it's Rift's conversion book number two, Pantheons of the Megaverse. And there was another one called uh, Gods and Dragons. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Dragons and Gods, my mistake. And uh, there, there were some Egyptian deities uh, as well in the back, the Egyptian Pantheon and how they fit into the uh, the Rift's uh, um Universe and these had different versions um, because you have a multiverse uh, where that's connected with these uh, uh, tears uh, in the fabric of time and space. So they have different versions of like the Greek and Roman gods, um, uh, some of them evil floating around out there. And depending on which universe you find yourself in, uh, that's what you would encounter. So I think they do the same for the Egyptian gods as well. Well, that sounds really fascinating. I'm going to take a look at uh, trying to find those books. They can be had rather inexpensively. I found that if I monitor um, Amazon and uh, um, eBay, and if I know which books I'm looking for, sometimes they're ridiculously expensive. Like uh, there was a book uh, on vampires uh, with rifts, that was uh, like a hundred dollars on uh, Amazon, and I found it brand new for nine dollars on eBay. So, and sometimes vice versa. There were things that were ridiculously expensive on eBay that were a few dollars on Amazon. So, uh, yeah, I what I did initially was I looked up what I could find uh, on both, and then identified the ones I was looking for, and then just uh, kept my eye on both uh, places until they got to a, a price I was willing to pay. And sometimes I was surprised at how low uh, I, I could find them, like with uh, Prime, too, which is free shipping. Um, uh, some of the books were very, very uh, ridiculously inexpensive at times. Yeah, we have Prime as well, and that's that's a great recommendation. I'll, I'll take a look for those on, on both those places and see what I can find. Yeah, I'm going to be incorporating something very Rifts-like at some uh, point. Uh, initially, we're just going to start with one simple thread, uh, which is the Who Mourns for Adonai in Star Trek, where Apollo is kind of uh, still in our universe and the, and the other gods supposedly have passed on. Um, and uh, then uh, by the end of the episode, Apollo um, vanishes too, but he's left behind an heir. And then uh, in the series, uh, Star Trek uh, continues 
they had the actor play Apollo, and Apollo didn't disappear. So they had like uh, something there. And then in uh, the series uh, the, uh, Star Trek The Final Frontier or The New Frontier, uh, there was a character named Mark Henry who was supposedly the product of the union of uh, Apollo and Palamas, uh, who was a crew member of the Enterprise. So he's in Starfleet. And later on, he, he discovers that he's uh, a demigod. Um, and uh, Peter David, the author, did two books where he really went into that whole uh, um, mythology thing. And I believe, if I remember correctly, it's been years since I read these books, uh, that Celtic and Egyptian and other type of gods there as well. So I thought because a lot of people who are involved are interested in mythology, uh, we could do like a voyage to find out what happened to the gods. And uh, uh, we don't have to accept uh, as canon anything that anybody else has done, but it's just uh, what's been established could be in different timelines and we're exploring them. Uh, so if we don't like what we find, we could always uh, discover something else and do something original and creative. Oh, that sounds really For that particular story, that's very interesting about Apollo and the fact that somebody went and then wrote uh, offshoot stories about that. Did that often happen with the original Star Trek series? Yes, there are hundreds of uh, books, and uh, a lot of times the, the books, uh, uh, you know, they take place between episodes or between movies, and sometimes they take place on uh, alternate timelines, like there's a whole mirror universe where there are evil uh, Star Trek people that all wear goatees and for the most part. Uh, and that's how you know that they're evil. Uh, so, uh, um, yeah, Star Trek had a lot of that. There's a lot of fan fiction also uh, over the years, and so there are collections of the fan fiction. When I first got involved with Star Trek fandom in the mid-'80s, uh, there were a lot of like fan-produced uh, periodicals called fanzines. Uh, and uh, we actually uh, published uh, one called uh, Void Warrior, and uh, it was mostly Klingons, but it was also other uh, uh, outer space things too. And um, I had my own version of Olympus, you know, that uh, we had. Uh, so uh, um, I'll be incorporating that at some point as well too. It depends how many people uh, pop up from those days. Uh, some of them are Facebook friends, but I don't know if they're still into Star Trek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Nick and I are going to be going to a vintage paperback uh, uh, show this uh, Sunday up in Glendale. Oh, wow. So uh, this is really giving me some ideas. I'm going to be looking around for some different books. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and uh, what do you call it? I, I love those type of shows. I haven't been to one in years, but I, I love going to those type of shows. Yeah, I think we've gone probably about. Three, three times. Is this going to be our fourth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this will be our fourth time. It's, it's uh, one of the shows that we really like. Um, it's great. It's just a one day. It's in an auditorium. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I know I need to get my lift ready so I can uh, make <laughs> sure that I don't forget something when I'm there. Get to score a lot of Lynn Carter books. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I have a stack of those for you somewhere, but uh, we've been doing a lot of redecorating lately, so I have no idea what box I put them in. Uh, the Star Trek stuff I have here, I put them on the bookshelf, uh, but as soon as I stumble across my Lynn Carter stuff, you have a, a, you have a stack uh, that's uh, slated for you, Nick. Oh, 
<laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, and, and Hercules, if there's anything that specifically that you're kind of looking for, um, I'll send you the link to the show, and then you can take a look. And then if there's something that you're looking for, just let us know. We'll we'll look for it and see if we can find it, find you well, a copy. Well, thank you. I greatly Argy, appreciate that. Or get you something I'm, autographed as well. Yeah, they have guests awesome. there that are fine. So. Yeah, the, what do you call it? Uh, that I used to be more concerned about in my younger years. Now, now it's just the material itself, you know. So uh, um, I, I no longer look uh, uh, for my personal collection for like things being in mint condition or being signed, and you know, I just like enjoy reading the the material. Some of it is so obscure that, uh, um, like for instance, when I went to San Diego last time. Uh- um, I walked into several uh, like uh, used bookstores, and I found uh, Sword and Sorcery, Kofar and Kirik uh, by Gardner Fox. So I found like the complete sets, and uh, I hadn't been able to find them in New York. I found a really ratty copy uh, at a street fair once. So uh, when I went to purchase them, the woman who owned the store said, you know, those have been waiting for you there since the 70s. <laughs> and I said, I, I believe it, and I'm glad they finally connected with me, because these books are so obscure a lot of times that they just sit there, and uh, you can get them very inexpensively, uh, but, but they're treasures nonetheless. Oh, I bet, yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, if there's anything, just let us know. Um, that'll be I, I definitely will. Sunday. Yeah. I, so those were kind of the books that I'd been looking at um, for some inspiration, um, just to give me kind of a an idea of what I want to do with my character and how she can interact with the with the group. So I'm very excited and uh, can't wait to watch Trekkies and because I, I love the original Star Trek. So, um, and I remember that episode. So I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. I'm looking forward to uh, experiencing that with you guys as well. I posted them in the uh, uh, Pride of Olympus Starfleet RPG group. Uh, with links to Amazon. Again, the number seven, Star Trek seven, I have two extras, so I will definitely send you one. Um, So uh, uh, just PM me your address or email me your address. Uh, I write things on pieces of paper and then I lose them. So I'm sorry. I'm not very organized that way. Uh, I'll have it out uh, by the end of this week. Oh, okay. That sounds great. I I will email you because I want to send you that link. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it, and I'm, I'm looking forward to your character developing further. Uh, her origin uh, is extremely fascinating, very much in the spirit of what I had envisioned. So thank you very much, and uh, you're awesome, Michelle. Oh, thank you, Hercules. Well, I feel the same about you and, and always appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you, and I'm very excited to be part of this uh, adventure. Ditto here, um, and thank you again. Uh, Nicholas uh, Bolo, <laughs> that is awesome. All right, so lots of little backstory on this. Okay. Um, so back when I was just a, a wee little lad in the 90s, uh-huh. uh, I used to play a lot of uh, uh, second edition Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. And... Uh, the campaigns I mostly played were Planescape and Forgotten Realms. Both of which I and, loved uh, as well. 
And, you know, when you, you get like a, a campaign setting, you know, usually you get like a box set that's, you know, the campaign box set that has like some sort of book that's just an overview of the world, a couple monsters, a couple cities. It's mostly to get you started, right? Right. Um, well, within Forgotten Realms, there was a series of books called Volo's Guides. And they were mm-hmm. basically kind of like travel logs. Uh, there's uh, Volo's Guide to the North, Volo's Guide to the Sword Coast, and basically they were like campaign box sets, but really laser focused, like on a, a specific region, a specific city, and they were written not like in the perspective of a rule book, but written in the perspective as if you were reading that book, like in the game. Um, they mm-hmm. were written like travel logs and. You know, the character that was uh, writing these, you know, his name was, uh, he went by the name of Volo, but Volo Sankadam. Um, but, you know, he, he would go to a city, he'd visit all the, the inns and the taverns, and he would give them a rating, like, you know, this, this tavern is five tankards out of five tankards. Or, uh-huh. uh, you know, this, this, this inn is three beds out of five beds. Um you know, he'd visit the different shops. He'd talk about the towns. And it was just this really neat way to um, really uh, describe uh, an RPG setting. I thought it was very inventive. I thought it was very funny because the the wit in these books, because, again, they're written as if they were a travelogue as well. They basically perform two functions, a travelogue and also as, you know, an RPG supplement. And uh-huh. I would take these books to, to class and read them during my downtime. And uh, I thought they were just uh, the most funnest things to read, more so than, you know, getting, uh, you know, here's a here's a book that's just a whole bunch of magic items. Here's a book of monsters. You know, here's a, you know, another RPG supplement, you know, rules and whatever. I just thought it was a, uh, a neat way to engage with the game. And, I, and, again, I thought they were funny as well. Um, uh-huh. You know, fast forward, like, you know, six, seven years later, you know, I'm in college, you know, I'm playing, uh, you know, RPGs with some of my college friends. And, you know, what's the type of character I play? Well, I, I thought about these old Volo guides and the character who who wrote them. I'm like, you know, that's the kind of character I want to play. Just a, a guy who, you know, travels around, writes about what he sees and publishes it. You, you can kind of see maybe... There's maybe a real-world parallel going on here as well. Yes. <laughs> but, but that was one of the, the characters I, I like to play as. I don't, I, I don't remember my old character's name. I think it was like Roland or something. But, you know, you know, was he a good fighter? No. Well, was he a good spellcaster? No. But, you know, he, he um, still traveled around, liked his adventure. But, you know, he spent most of his time... Uh, you know, going to the taverns and writing about them. So, like, I'd be playing, you know, with, you know, my group of friends and, you know, the, you know, Joel, who was our game master, he's like, all right, you guys, you know, enter the tavern. I'd be like, tell me everything about it. I want to know <laughs> what the furnishings look like. He's like, Nick, let's talk after the game so that way we don't bog it down too bad. And, you know, he kind of appreciated that because I would give him my notes because he'd make up a lot of stuff on the fly and I'd be the one, like, feverishly scribbling this stuff down to give back to him. And, you know, it basically forced him to develop his own world that we were playing in. And so uh, 
that, that was just, you know, the type of uh, style I could play, you know, back back in the day when I did do RPGs. I wasn't so much for, you know, dungeon crawling or looting or stuff like that. You know, it was the actual trying to craft a story. And I felt like this type of character was, is it, is it forced, you know, everything to be a two-way road. It, it forced an art, you know, a role-playing element, but it also forced, you know, more storytelling and developing of the world at large. So fast forward, you know, 15 years from that, you know, uh, I'm a, a writer now and I, I see some parallels to this character of like the type of writings I do and the writings I consume. Um, like example, you know, Michelle and I, we watch a lot of travelogue programs on TV or YouTube or DVD or whatever, you know, shows that, you know, like Anthony Bourdain's shows, you know, he goes around, he doesn't necessarily write them down per se, but his, his deal was travel to locations, you know, go to different restaurants and talk about him and, you know, bring it down to a folk level. Um, I think Anthony Brown does a similar thing as well. Alton Brown. Uh-huh. Um, but also, you know, Michelle and I, more so me than Michelle, but, you know, we like our, our tiki culture and a lot of uh, yes. tiki books are, are travel logs like that for tiki bars that don't exist. There's there's lots of guidebooks of, you know, hey, if you travel to California, here's all these tiki restaurants and bars and hotels and sites and whatever. And, you know, I buy these books and read them, even though most of the places have been raised to the ground. And, you know, there's something kind of it's kind of sad that, you know, they're not around anymore, but kind of cool that they've been, you know, preserved in some capacity. And so – you know, a lot of the media I consume and some of my own writing, I feel like kind of harkens back to just, you know, reading old Forgotten Realms guidebooks, if you think about it. Um, you know, uh, if I go to a convention or an event, you know, I'm always feverishly taking notes because, you know, that's going to be an essay later. It's going to be a write-up later. Um, so so it's something I've, I guess I've always identified for Oh gosh, I don't know, twenty five plus years maybe. And so uh wow. you know, it's a type of uh, character that are what what am I trying to say? You know, it's a type of personality that I can identify with, but it's versatile. You know, that this was uh you know, the the character Bola can't get him, you know, he's a sword and uh sorcery character obviously, but you know, why can't you have a similar character, you know, that's sci fi oriented that you know, goes to different planets, goes to different space stations, goes to different worlds, and and says, "Aha! You know, here here's something I see that no one else sees, and I could, uh, you know, talk about it, give it my own spin, give it my own perspective, uh, and bring it to the rest of the world slash universe." That would be awesome, and uh, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I have uh, a lot of the Volo uh, travel logs, uh, or I had them at one point. I know I have still some from the north, uh, because I was resonated most powerfully with uh, the Icewind Dale stories, uh, the Fellowship yes. of... Uh, yes, those are my favorites, so I know I still have all my northern uh, stuff. Uh, and I have all those books. And uh, although I haven't read the last maybe six or seven of them, I, I bought them and I have them for the day that uh, I returned to them. 
Um, and uh, I used to enjoy reading the Volos guides. And yeah, they have taverns in there and they have other places of interest. And it's fictive, but it really uh, bolsters your imagination and makes the place you're visiting uh, while you're reading much more real. Uh, I find that I love that with uh, Robert E. Howard's Hyborian Age, where Conan lived. Um, all the different uh, game books were, for me, ways of fleshing out my imagination so that when I read the books, I, I had all these details that my imagination could uh, uh, could add to what I was reading. And uh, the, those books uh, served a, a great purpose. So I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, Volo's yeah. Guide to the North was the very first one I ever bought. You know, it talks about oh, wow. that area between uh, water deep and the, the spine of the world and uh, and Icewind Dale and all that stuff north of water deep. And, you know, I was always fascinated by that area because, one, it's, there's a lot of the, the writing in there is very similar to living in the Pacific Northwest, so I identified right. a bit that way. But, you know, I'd be reading about, you know, here's the far north, here's some mining town that's barely getting by. And, you know, it's kind of solemn, you know, talking about, oh, you know, they're mining, and there's goblins coming down, and, you know, the only tavern is a crap hole. But, hey, I give it two, you know, tinkers out of five. But, but you know, that sort of stuff really spurs my imagination reading that. For about ten years in Pennsylvania, uh, one of the campaigns I ran was set in the set in the north, and uh, we uh, uh, the first games were set in like the world of the Icewind Dale computer games. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And uh, by the time and they, they were like a, a generation or so before uh, uh, the Crystal uh, Shard, if I remember correctly, and then. At the end of 10 years, uh, we gotten up to the time of legacy. And uh, the, the characters in our campaigns were kind of like in what the background was in the books. So if they read the books, they had a better idea of like the bigger world. And occasionally I'd bring Drizda uh, uh, Orden or uh, uh, Wolfgar or Regis or Cadibri or Brunor, you know, vaguely, you know, like uh, into the story for a brief period. And they used to get very excited. Uh, the only time we really uh, interacted a lot with uh, the, um, uh, the, the story was when they helped uh, Brunor um, take back... Uh, um, Mithril Hall. That's uh, really cool. That's actually a lot of uh, forgotten realms I wasn't privy to. I mean, I know the stories of Drizzt Du Erden, uh, Illminster, you know, mostly the Ed Greenwood stuff. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't get to play Icewind Dale, but I played a whole bunch of old DOS games from, uh, you know, the late 80s. Like I remember those, yes. Those were great. Uh, and again, you know, all these together fleshed out this huge universe that I was able to soak in. And yeah, Hillsfar was probably my favorite to play. <laughs> yeah, I had that on the Nintendo Hillsfar uh, back in the Nintendo days. And I played uh, all the different games and some of them had modules uh, that either uh, replicated what was in the book or expanded upon uh, what was in the book. 
and I remember playing uh, some of those uh, too. Like when I couldn't play on the computer, I played uh, in the board, and uh, I became enamored of Myth Dranor for a while. So I had all these things of Myth Dranor. I think I've lost those or given them away or sold them over the years. Uh, but for a long time, I, I also did uh, Myth Dranor adventures uh, um, occasionally. So that was a lot of fun. I have a lot of fond memories of the Forgotten Realms. That and, you know, Planescape for me, both of them, you know, they're yeah. so, so well done. But anyway, so, you know, wrapping it back, you know, so that kind of lineage of reading old Volo's guides, you know, now, you know, just in retrospect of thinking about it, I think kind of informed a lot of the writing I do now or the writer I aspire to be in. You know, this seems like it would be a kind of a, a neat personality to bring to uh, your endeavor. That would be awesome. And uh, if uh, you and Michelle want to write, uh, if, if you want to stay away from some start, like in what we publish, um, I have my original material from this uh, region of space that I developed uh, years ago. Uh, we can start fleshing that out and uh, adventuring in it. And this way, you know, we're not violating anybody's copyright or we're not doing fanfic. So we could do you know, something like that. And uh, sure. what I was also thinking and this I, I, uh, I talked to uh, Bob Bossler in the segment before, is your scholars. And uh, as we're exploring these, uh, this background material on the Star Trek and Stargate and all these other fandoms, a lot of scholarly articles could come out of our exploration. So while we're playing and having fun, uh, the research that we'll be doing, um, somebody might uh, benefit from reading about this uh, research. Yeah, there's uh, there's actually sorry, it's very echoey. My apologies. There's actually a quite a burgeoning field of uh, fan studies out there. Awesome. So we could definitely help fill a need uh, uh, in uh, people's uh, exploration of their uh, favorite fandoms. Like, uh, I know I intend on spending a year. Uh, for what we're doing, uh, ferreting out every single uh, piece of Greek mythology in the Star Trek universe. So uh, I was thinking since I'm going to do that anyway, uh, I, I might as well write something about it and publish it somewhere. Yes, Sword and Sandal in Star Trek. Yes, yes. So in your next anthology or your one after that, it'll be finished and uh, I can submit it to you for review. There we go. There we go. I'm very excited about this. I, I know that I'm going to wind up doing a project with you guys, but I don't know what it is quite yet. So I'm kind of shooting in the dark, see what sticks and uh, uh, what we all get excited about. No, we, we got a, a project in mind for you. We'll have to uh, email you a little bit later after we fleshed it out, but we'll talk about okay. that later. It's something that you'll, you'll definitely uh, get a kick out of. I'm, I'm looking forward to it then. Um, have you guys uh, seen Captain Marvel yet? Are you into the MCU? Uh, we have not seen Captain Marvel yet. I do want to see it because it looks fun. It takes place in the 90s, and apparently there's a cat in it, and the cat is awesome. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like a Cthulhu cat. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I know you'll enjoy that. It was fun. We, when my wife and I went, uh, we didn't quite know what to expect. Uh, but we found that we enjoyed it, and there was a lot of uh, fun. And uh, uh, definitely, uh, when it comes out on DVD, uh, I'm going to want it for our collection. 
and we'll probably watch it again. Like right now, we're watching all the MCU films in order uh, to prepare for Marvel's uh, Avengers Endgame that's coming out very shortly. I was surprised at the turnaround of some of these MCU uh, movies. Yes. Well, they they seem to have hit upon a successful uh, formula, um, and uh, um, they, there's it, even though it's a formulaic, it's very flexible in its uh, uh, formula. So um, I'm learning a lot about uh, like effective ways of telling stories by watching these uh, films and following uh, uh, their reasoning for making certain decisions. So it's a, it's a really great educational experience. I think Michelle could speak to this more than I can, but I believe she's moderating some panels at WeedonCon about character building and world building oh, or wow. something. Just I'll let her speak on that one. Okay. Yeah, so um, I'm going to be moderating a panel um, and kind of from our conversations and then also from the zine I'm working on uh, with Sword and Sorcery Weird Fiction Terminus. Um, I thought about uh, leading a panel in which we talk about the hero's journey, uh, the Whedon universe, um, and then how we develop characters that we care about based on that kind of narrative structure. So um, that's the the panel that I will be leading at WhedonCon, which I think is like the first or second weekend of June. Um, wow up in the L.A. area. So I'll be doing that. Um, this will be I, like I in Buffy, to... Angel, Serenity, Firefly, uh, um, some of the MCU movies. Is that the Whedonverse you're talking about? Yeah, so it would be, you know, stuff that he worked on, but I'm also hoping that uh, the panelists that I get will also talk more generally with the uh, IPs that are really popular now um, and mm-hmm. bringing in how that narrative structure works in the I, our popular IPs that we're watching today. Wow. That sounds very exciting. Yeah. I, I think it'll be pretty good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I have a few people that I'm interested in inviting um, to the panel. Hopefully they'll be available. Um, so I, I did want to just interject. didn't mean to jump into uh, your time with, with Nicholas, but no, you're good. I, I love the Forgotten <laughs> Realms. When Nick first, when we first got together, um, we talked about like role playing, and he got me into the Forgotten Realms. And so, like, I've read, read probably like the first six books. I've read the um, the comic books related to the same series. I just, uh-huh. I love that series. So we're gonna have to talk another time about it. We'll do a show on it. Just uh, we'll talk about Icewind Dale and uh, the Frozen North uh, in uh, Forgotten Realms. And uh, Ryan Foley, uh, who's on the show a lot, um, he was inspired to be a writer uh, from R.A. Salvador's work on the Forgotten Realms. And that's how, uh, um, you know, he got into writing in the first place. And he's uh, been published in comic books, graphic novels. Now he's writing novels. So, um, th- those uh, stories uh, were truly uh, inspiring to very many people. As a, a little side note, maybe about, uh, oh, man, 10, 11 years ago when Michelle and I lived in Washington, our local comic book store, 
Uh, it's ran by an awesome guy named uh, Richard Spikowski. Uh, okay. He had a, a frequent uh, customer, uh, Jeff Grubb, who uh, yes. yeah, Jeff Grubb. He he wrote a lot of Forgotten Realms and a lot of other D and D stuff, and you know we found out about that and we're like, oh, that's awesome. And somehow or another, uh, Richard had convinced him, you know what, Jeff? Why don't you have a signing in the store? And Jeff was like, okay. And so yeah, one day we we went in there. I took all my Forgotten Realms stuff he'd worked on, Spelljammer stuff, and. Got to meet Jeff Grubb, and he signed uh, some of my old D&D stuff. It was really cool. That is awesome. That is very awesome. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Planescape uh, as well, and I have a lot of Planescape uh, material. Um, unfortunately, uh, that too, I've uh, managed to uh, uh, lose sight of some of it over the years, but I've been slowly getting it uh, back. I love that setting. Uh, and that was Spell probably Jammer, my I favorite setting. Yeah, I'm, I'm blending that in with the rifts, uh, the planescape uh, into the mm-hmm. rifts uh, t- together uh, in what I'm planning on doing uh, for that. So there'll be planescape type things going on in our venture as well. One of the best things about planescape was the uh, artist, uh, Tony Dieterlizzi. He really made all those uh, books pop with his artwork. Yes. Very distinct, very original, very creepy and disturbing. <laughs> and Olympus was in there too. I, uh, Olympus was on the uh, outer planes. Uh, they kept changing the region where it, it, the name of the region where it was located, but it's near the uh, a region away from the uh, Norse heavens and near the uh, the heaven of the beasts, and uh, it's in the same vicinity as the. Uh, um, uh, the the elf heavens and uh, lots of really fun stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, I had a whole bunch of those box sets like Planes of Law, Planes of Chaos. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know they divide into the different uh, outer planes: the Elysium, Beastlands, Arcadia, uh, you know, Beatar, Gehana. Uh, oh, I. I it's a great setting, so cosmic, so cool. But you know, the coolest thing was the city at the center of all the city of doors, Sigil, uh, yes. the gel. Yes. Yes. With the Lady of Pain, uh, and uh, uh, gods couldn't go there. And uh, I, I played uh, Planescape Torment. I remember on the computer when it first came out. I read the the book, and I had the. Uh, um, a strategy guide, which had a lot of other information in it. That that was uh, very interesting too. How they did that. Well, hey, it's almost uh, the end of the show. I don't want to. I want to make sure you don't go over your time. Is there anything okay, else you. I should like wrap up with you? No, that's an excellent character concept. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, your your the background story and the name uh, you develop uh, for the character. And uh, I think we're off to a great uh, start. And uh, um, I'm doubling the time for this, uh, the Starfleet Adventures from two hours to four during the course of the month. And uh, uh, this way, uh, I want to schedule a regular segment for uh, yourself, uh, Michelle. And uh, I will keep you posted on that. Thanks again. Uh, you're right to keep track of the time. I was just informed we have 90 seconds. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Nicholas. Uh, you're awesome. And uh, I look forward to our next uh, conversation. I appreciate being on. Uh, we hope you have an awesome rest of the week. 
Thank you. The same to you as well. And All thanks right, to our guests. Cheers. Thanks to our guests for joining us. Uh, until next time, this is Hercules and the Scholars Beyond Time. Wish you joyous journeys and happy adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.